A young boy is the target of an assassination attempt. It doesn't take long before they find out that he can read minds. It's a race against time as the agents try to use this poor child to protect their work on the X-Files, while the Syndicate tries to gain the upper hand with him as well. Stellar adults all around. This is not happening. Hello and welcome to This Is Not Happening, another X-Files podcast. I came down to ask you something. I, uh, I guess I was nosing around, wondering about you, your uh, long-term plans. My long-term plans? You got them right there in your hands. What do you hope to find? I mean, in the end. Whatever I hope to find is in here. Maybe I'll know it when I find it. Is that what you came to ask me? No. There's a case, nothing I'd send you normally. A murder, an assassination of a Russian chess player. The shooter is former National Security Agency, one of ours. He's got a lot of people upset. This kid, Jeffrey Spender, special agent Spender, he's been given the case. He's running it. Did you give it to him? No. It came as an order from somewhere outside the bureau. He's got his team assembled upstairs right now. He was very specific that you be excluded. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Mike. And with me today are, of course, Andrew and Carrie. How are you two doing? This is the end, my friend. My only friend, the end. It's going to be Jim Morrison all night tonight. Jim Morrison. Carrie, sing it with me. Oh, boy. I will not. Um, <laughs> all right, just then. say hello. <laughs> uh, so, here we are. It is the end, no pun intended, <laughs> of season five. Um, if you're new to the show... It is called The End because this was originally supposed to be the last episode, and they were going to continue the show through the movies, through the talkies, the big pictures. <laughs> but as you may or may not know, things changed. So Yeah, the movie didn't sell so well. That's, that's all right, though. In my opinion, I don't know. Initial thoughts, ladies and gentlemen. Great. Well, I, okay. I so it's it, no, moving no, on. No, you can't rush <laughs> off. So the end also refers to the fact that it's the end of shooting in Vancouver mm-hmm. because they take it to uh, they take it on the road. They try their luck down in the states where people love each other, um, and they they really do um, have a love letter to Vancouver in this show. They apparently for the opening sequence they yep. filled that stadium with twenty seven thousand. Uh, raving X-Files fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a legitimate shot, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Rogers Stadium, I believe. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I would have loved to have been there. That would have been so cool. If only yeah. for this scene, you know, oh, there I am. No, that's not me. But I mean, Absolutely. just <laughs> pretending you could say that in a crowd of thousands. Um, I think it's it- awesome. And it, it's this is that... Uh, that escalation I was talking about earlier on in the season of set pieces and locations for season five, uh, this is the culmination of that. And it's it definitely so cool. has taken it to another level. But again, this is a 20 episode season compared to 24 mm-hmm. in season one. So I think, well, they've done that also so that they can, they can have some mental space to work on the movie. Uh, yeah. But it also maybe gave them more money to play with per episode. I mean, I don't know numbers how much they they got to work with, but they clearly they had some money to play with, 
initial thoughts about the episode. I, I thought it was a good season ender, but I think it is kind of eclipsed by the ones that came before it. Maybe because they are kind of running on empty. Like they, they've had to carry this mythology arc pretty hard for the last four seasons and constantly adding on to it like, you know, a bad paint job and stuff is flaking off and maybe not making sense completely. And um, it does lead us into some revelation, which is going to work. And obviously it's going to lead us into the movie, but uh, I think they have done better jobs previously. I what if this one a lot more than I do other episodes, as you will no doubt hear soon. But uh, yeah, initial impressions are, you know, it's good, but not great. Fair. Carrie? I I have to agree with Andrew. It was it, it was good. It, I mean, it was fine. I don't love it, but it, it serves its purpose. And I'm, I'm sure, and I do like the, the, the fact that they included the people from Vancouver that were the fan. I think that was a great touch. And the introduction of some characters that I could have really spent the rest of my life without in this episode, I think that bothered me a lot. <laughs> and with, um, You're talking about Diana Fowley? I am. I don't know. She's no Phoebe Green. Like she's, I like her a lot more than she Phoebe Green. She doesn't strike me as that. I, I think the reason people hate her is because she's the foil for yeah. the shippers. Um, I don't hate her <laughs> like a lot of people do, which I've found out over the most recent couple of years. <laughs> but uh, I didn't realize she was as maligned as she is. But I just don't care for her for her character. For, and and yeah, part of it has to do with it, me being a shipper and all that. But it's also I don't I just find her aggravating. I don't know why. I don't know why. And it's nothing against Mimi Rogers. I I like her as an actress. Jesus, I. Mm. You know what? I I will look forward to going through the episode and you pointing out the the parts which you find her annoying. And I think that is what will be most useful. Very good, sir. All right. Well, we don't want to belabor the points here, so we are going to move right into the episode. Before I get started here, written, wait, are you going to end the discussion? I'm ending the discussion right here, the end of this discussion <laughs> and the beginning of talking about the episode. The beginning uh, of written, the end. my f- what? It's the beginning of the end. Yes, it is the beginning of the end, and at the end, it'll be the end. Right. <laughs> Written by Chris Carter and directed by the closer, R.W. Goodwin. Uh, thankfully, though, he did not include his wife in this one. <laughs> oh, you would have hated the episode then, eh? <laughs> it's garbage. <laughs> the Scully family reunion. So we are in Vancouver. We get a nice panning shot of a gigantic stadium. There's a chess match going on. Uh, a young boy is playing a grown man in a tight game of chess. The man seems a little unsure as thousands look on. He makes his move, the unboy his. From above, a sniper is assembling his gun. They make more moves. As the boy finishes his, he hears jumbled audio of what sounds like people talking. He begins looking all over and suddenly, up beyond the nosebleeds, he keys in. He brings his attention back to his opponent who is making his next move. The kid makes one more pushes away from the table, and suddenly we hear a gunshot. It pierces the boy's opponent, who falls to the ground, and the crowd stampedes to the exits. The sniper himself looks shocked. The boy looks up. He senses the man. Credits. 
Okay, so as we do, we talk about the uh, opening sequence. How did this grab either of you? Both of you. The ladies first. It was, uh, you know what? It, it, I miss Quiet Willie. <laughs> I was thinking of him this whole sequence as well. <laughs> it never we all love Quiet Willie, but the, yeah. the match would have ended and the crowd would have all been gone before he took his shot. <laughs> he would have still been lining it up. He's like, I wish these people would stop moving, but I got the <laughs> shot. That chair is dead. I, I, it, it was a, it was, a, it was an, it was a fine opening. I mean, it, it was interesting. I'm wondering why people are trying to assassinate a ten-year-old. It, it was, it was good. It was, it was, you know, piqued my interest. I am also okay with it. Um, I like it a lot less as the story unfolds because I look at it like, why are you trying to kill him here if later on you're trying to basically kidnap him? You know, if if he's important to you later, why are you trying to kill him now? Okay. So as the opening credit sequence, or I'm fine with it. Like it is engaging, you know, that adds some tension, all the rest of it. The reveal at the end is big. No, he has some superpowers. Fine. We know it's an X file. It's all good. Just later on this opening makes no sense. So. <laughs> okay. Starting off hot, Andrew. I am uh, coming out of the gates with a bang. Here we Kinda go, like a sniper's bullet. gentlemen. <laughs> can't suspend his disbelief just for an nope, episode. Can't. <laughs> As I said right here, it's it's suspended, baby. <laughs> Later on, that, those strings get cut real hard. <laughs> well, we come back from the, the credits. Uh, it is the Laurentian Mountains. We see two parasailers landing. They're all clad in black. Inside his small cabin, CSM is brewing, brewing some tea when his perimeter alarm goes off. The two men with guns quietly approach or as quiet as quietly as you can in crunchy <laughs> snow but uh, mm-hmm. one opens the door and is promptly shot dead the next is a little bit more cautious he sneaks around and he notices bloody footsteps off into the snow and we have a chase scene csm is running into the forest the secret agent whatever you want to call him manages to cut cut him off fires a shot into the air to get him to stop and he removes his mask it's cry check. CSM urges him. He goads him into trying to kill him. I was sent to bring you back, Alex says. We cut to Mulder's office. Skinner's snooping around, waiting for Mulder. I need to talk about this recovery of CSM. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Couldn't you have just written him a letter? He's good at sending letters. <laughs> I'm sure Crycheck was chopping at the bit to come at this guy. He doesn't like him right now. There was no way that their plot to get him, you know, at gunpoint was ever going to end in anything but violence. Like, what were they expecting? Who, who drafted this plan? It's I look. It makes for great TV. I'm fine with it as a, as an action scene. But again, looking at it again in the rewatch, I'm like, wait a second. Andrew, you if know? you're gonna pick apart every <laughs> scene. I will eject We're you gonna from be here this a while, folks. episode. Four-hour-long podcast exceeds our quota. I got, I got a problem. Why are they driving a car? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just oh, I mean, it, it does make sense. It's an interesting point. Uh, they obviously knew where he was. Yeah. 
I mean, you could you could do a whole thing about how they knew, but it's like they know he's there. They need him. They're sending Alex Krychek to go get him. Like they know that those guys have a history. It's like <laughs> how do you know Alex isn't just going to blow him away? He resisted, guys. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I have I, I, have I like problems to believe. With it. Like I told Andrew. you, I didn't like this one as much. But there yeah, you go. Right, whatever. <laughs> Please pray. Continue. Pray. Maybe continue. I won't have any other thoughts. Now that you've shat all over the opening scene. <laughs> yeah. No, this is I. It's gonna be a very long podcast. Gonna be a long one. Yeah, it's seven forty-seven where I am. Uh, we'll see what time <laughs> we end, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So Mulder's office. <laughs> <laughs> Skinner is snooping around the office, poking around, waiting for Mulder. He came to ask Mulder a question when he arrives, uh, but instead asks him what his long-term plans are, seemingly changing directions for a moment. What do you hope to find in the end? We have a title, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. <laughs> Mulder says whatever he hopes to find is in these files. And Skinner, getting back to the point, tells him about a case that has just come by. Nothing he'd normally send Mulder. But the case went directly to Agent Spender from outside the Bureau, and that he asked specifically that Mulder not be involved. Stirring the pot a little bit with Spender, Skinner comes straight to Mulder and gives him the case. The briefing is going on right now. We cut to the briefing, and it should be noted that even Scully was invited to this. Yeah, total diss. My God, <laughs> right? like high school. But also kind of doing? like... What are you doing at my party, Mulder? Even if Mulder hadn't barged in, you're you're inviting his partner who you've already had words with yourself. So, yeah, kind of a dumb move there. Spender has gathered many agents together to go over what's happened. The shooter fired one kill shot at Anatoly Klebanow. He was captured without incident. Mulder and Skinner arrive, and Spender is just thrilled to see them. It should be noted... That Spender goes on to say the traje trajectory suggests the shooter acted alone and it struck the player near his solar plexus. It's at this point that Mulder decides to interrupt and asks him to rewind the tape. As Spender resists, Mulder says, I think you're wrong. The Russian wasn't the target. It was the 12-year-old boy. Spender tries to dismiss it, but as he rewinds it, Mulder points it out. The boy pushes away from the table after he makes his move. Spender says he just completed a checkmate. The match was over. It was a finishing move. But a woman in the room, out of nowhere, agrees with Mulder. It is here, ladies and gentlemen, we are introduced to everyone's favorite character, Diana Fowler. Cue applause. Uh, she says it looks like the boy sensed the killer precognitively to a surprised room. Mulder did not say that. It's impossible. This is spooky Fowler. <laughs> <laughs> spooky Fowler. Freaky Fowler. Yeah, it is. Oh, spooky and freaky. Yes. Perfect. Spender says it's impossible, but Skinner says, just rewind the tape so we can all see. As he does, sure enough, as we saw in the beginning, the boy looks far up into the rafters. Spender's pissed, and the woman nods at Mulder. Oh, reassuring. So, I love this scene. Mm-hmm. But I have one major plot problem. I mean, I know I haven't had any problems with this story I, so far. I'm intrigued, sir. I know. I shocked you. And yeah. So in Canada, we are very nice, generally. Uh, I don't know that we would have just handed over a murder suspect for a crime that happened in Vancouver. 
<laughs> I think you would have. <laughs> you think we would? Yeah, fair. Okay. Well, to be fair, I think as we find the boys out, American, or as we found out, so <laughs> the the shooter is NSA, so they probably got that to consider. Again, I'm not I saying so that right. the Canadians would necessarily <laughs> what? what? Are you questioning Chris what? Carter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How dare you? <laughs> you know what we knew. Uh, the old RCMP knew that we were over our heads. And it, it, we, when the offer came from the FBI to investigate that because of the, you know, the American citizen and the NSA shooter dude, we were like, you know what? Just take him off our hands. I, I don't want nothing to do with this. You all are better. There's 27,000 fans than in, are, the, eh? uh, <laughs> in the arena. They are going to go to their Tim Hortons coffees and not care. It'll I be love fine. Tim Hortons. I love Tim Hortons. <laughs> I do, however, now that you say that. I just drink Folgers. <laughs> do you have Tim Hortons? No. A little no, further south, perhaps, for, for him. Yeah, well. The NSA is going to Canada to take people out? Listen, Chris Carter wanted to throw some acronyms into the plot. That's all I know. He's former NSA, which I right. I believe he was recruited into the syndicate at some point as a uh, hitman. But the okay. weapon they needed to was... fill Quiet Willie's spot. <laughs> <laughs> the weapon apparently was registered to an intelligence agency. I think Spender says that pretty directly. So mm -hmm. there's a tie-in. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was a Giant plot hole. So there you go. I just thought I had to point that out. If if they had if they had done the <laughs> usual thing of casting Vancouver as Chicago, this would have all been avoided. And I think probably the original <laughs> script had it like that. But because it's the love letter to Vancouver and they wanted to actually call it Vancouver, that's the only reason this happened. So I'm willing to forgive it, X Files. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to play Tetris with your logic of having a problem with that, but enjoying a show about the paranormal. I will defend this since, since you're calling this out. The, the reason I think the X-Files works is because it is so close to reality and it mm. bends the rules in a delightful way. You know, it doesn't, sure. it doesn't go into supernatural territory. And I mean, the show supernatural where it's like, Hey, it's a vampire episode. Let's kill vampires. You know, we all know vampires mm -hmm. exist here. It's an, it's close enough to our real lives that we could see ourselves getting into these situations. It's why right. it works. I'm just yanking your chain. I needed to defend myself. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, it is now nighttime. Yes. We are under an overpass. The syndicate is there waiting. Krychek and CSM meet them. He makes a snide remark. You look surprised. Is it because I'm here or because I'm alive? I like that line. Very cool. Mm. Very cigarette smoking man. Yep. They begin to play fools to what happened, but CSM says you obviously overestimated the man you sent to do the job. Uh, and then there is indeed an unintentional moment of silence for Quiet Willie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, CSM swiftly casts it aside and says, all is forgiven. They need mm -hmm. him for a job. CSM is curt with them and holding it over them in so many words that they need him now after they tried to have him killed. They assert the boy is a problem for all of them, including CSM. 
And even as he is combative, he says they can count on him, and he walks away. We cut to a car, Mulder, Scully, and Folly. It's here we get introduced officially to Diana. She's been in the Bureau since 91, and she's been on foreign terrorist concerns in the Middle East for the time we've known the X-Files. She just recently requested reassignment. There were things at home she liked to get back to. (laughs) Do we think that, sorry, in previous episodes, like historical episodes, um, I'm thinking of the unusual suspects where Mulder is shown wearing a, a wedding ring. Yeah. Do we think he was uh, married to <laughs> It's been alluded to, and we actually covered it in that episode, and, or mm. maybe not that episode, but it was definitely covered in Travelers. We talked about it off Travelers, I think. Yeah. It's been hinted at by some people that he did indeed have a wife. It's never said in so many words. So I don't quite know. I, I guess we're supposed to infer that. But uh, I choose not to believe it. Either that or there's another character that we haven't met yet. Yeah, just XX. something. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't really matter one way or the other, but... No, no, it doesn't. But I feel like they shippers, would say it. it. Yeah. Not. Well, that's the tension in this scene, right? That Scully figures out pretty quickly that there was something between them. Mm-hmm. And that is what is being thrown at us like a load of manure uh, <laughs> to to make us dislike diana fowley because she is just as you say a foil to to scully yeah you know when two women fight over a man apparently is is the basest thing they can do in this episode but (laughs) looking at her objectively she's fine agent you know she observed things in that briefing stood up for Mulder. i don't know what's not to like about that it's here the agents arrive at injet murray psychiatric hospital We cut to a room with the boy watching The Simpsons because Fox likes to promote itself frequently. (laughs) But can we speak to the episode though? It's it's one of my favorites. It's where Homer gets a gun and it like destroys their family life. The scene is great, right? He's got the gun (laughs) on the table and shot things. (laughs) It shoots of its own accord. I'm wondering why they chose this scene because they had to have specifically chosen it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the gun has a mind of its own, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I couldn't figure that out. I'm, I know there's probably a reason why, and I, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Mulder begins chatting with the boy. How you doing? I don't mind it here. They get all the good TV shows. Where I live in the Philippines, all we get is Baywatch. What's wrong with Baywatch? You've got a dirty mind. I don't want to play any chess. How do you know I want to? Because you've got that cheap old chess computer in your hand. It's not so cheap. Just want to see how fast you can beat it? No. Maybe because you can. I'm right, aren't I? You know what I'm talking about. You knew the moment I came in. That's how you win, isn't it? How you know what your opponent's going to do. You get inside his head, you read his thoughts. That's how you knew that man was going to shoot you. Gibson reposts and says, I know what's on your mind. You're thinking about one of the girls you brought. And one is thinking about you. Driving home the wedge. 
Scully versus Diana. This kid is a little shit disturber is what he is. Oh, man. Mulder chuckles a little bit and says this kid needs round-the-clock protection. He leaves the room. <laughs> Scully follows and inquires what's going on. He's convinced that the kid is no chess master, and if given the opportunity, Mulder could probably beat him. They go back and forth for a little bit. Scully says, what you're positing is that this kid can read minds. He says, we've seen countless cases like this before, but she's, she pushes back on this and says, look, we've seen lucky guessers and fakers. Uh, no one who can claim that they can zero in on the mind of one person in a crowd of thousands. Was she not in Pusher? <laughs> Did she not see what he could do? I mean, I know it's not reading minds, but like, it's like she has forgotten about that particular she, mental she power does. that is clearly yeah. exhibited. She does kind of forget things in this, in this moment. <laughs> yeah. Let's just be nice about it. When it's convenient for the plot to pit her right. against Mulder. Diana, of course, is listening in. Oh, sorry, sorry, one more, one more call out before we rush on here. Uh, I just noted in the legend for this, um, the home that um, Gibson Praise is staying at. It's in Gatorsburg, Maryland. Interesting. Oh. Do you remember do you remember the significance of Maryland Gatorsburg? Meyer Flask? Marilyn Meyer Flask. It's where they they had uh, MGen Corporation and where he rented nice. the place. Interesting. Scully asks a logical question. Uh, why would someone want to kill someone who can give them the ultimate advantage in just about everything? And Diana chimes in, someone whose business is in keeping secrets. Scully's <laughs> not impressed. That's a that's a two edged sword. That's because, like, yes, he could reveal your secrets, but he could also get the secrets of your enemy. I mean, it's exactly. a very powerful weapon. This kind of power is pretty intense. I can imagine uh, multiple uses for this child, and we're going to find out what everyone wants to do with him by the end of the episode. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. My, okay, so while I'm thinking of it, the question would be, why do they wait until his chess match in Vancouver to off him? I think it was a matter of identifying him i don't know that they knew forever who he was okay go with that i don't have an answer for that not not, not my worst what if so far <sighs> <No>. <laughs> Mulder wants him fully tested and he leaves he says you know what to do diana that's kind of a burn on scully right yeah it's like too. she it's believes like me he flips his hair and walks away. <laughs> well, it's alluding to an intimate relationship yeah. that is suddenly excluding yeah. Scully. You know, I think maybe, yeah. you know, in terms of the tension between Diana and, and Dana, Mulder is not helping anything by like, you know, oh, yeah, we've been partners for the past five years, but it's really great to see you, Diana. You know? <laughs> it was a little harsh. It was like, yeah, I mean, she's just doing what Scully does. But it's mm -hmm. not like she deserved to be like, anyway, Diana, can you take care of this <laughs> hand in the face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a little, a little harsh. Um, well, Diana is taller, though, so I mean, doesn't have to lean over. Yeah. Uh, from here, we go to the federal detention facility where the shooter is being held. Mulder arrives just as Spender is exiting the interrogation. He wants to talk with the shooter. They exchange some words, and Spender tries to insult Mulder by saying, I don't want this to turn into a paranormal free-for-all. And it's here where Mulder lets him have it in a pretty epic quote. I, I think it's a pretty good time. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty good time. It's, it's pretty funny. I, I like 
the way Mulder just shuts him down in a in a calm way. Mulder enters the cell. Uh, what does it take to kill a kid? He asks the shooter. Mulder makes Spender get him some food and water uh, because apparently he has not been fed for about 16 hours. Um, the shooter, by the way, is Donald Gennaro from Jurassic Park, if you have not recognized him yet. Uh, he plays yeah. the lawyer. I, I knew I'd seen him before. I can remember where. By the end of Mulder's speech and interaction with the shooter, he lays pretty much everything out. He says, the kid reads minds. And the shooter's taken aback a little bit, and he asks, what can you do for me? After suggesting maybe immunity or witness protection, eh, you know, he says, think about it. I want to keep your options open. He leaves the cell. Spender's coming back with food. And as Mulder's leaving, he steals some. He says, all I did was get his attention. So now they know that the, uh, the shooter is starting to talk because he would not talk to Spender at all. I really like this scene because mm-hmm. it shows Mulder has evolved as, as an agent. Like he's really, he knows the world with which this guy is engrossed. Yeah. Like trying to appeal to him on a level, like an emotional level is not going to work. No. But literally going to a place of what can I give you, you know, mm-hmm. or, or what can you do for me? It's such a great line, right? Like, yeah, I like the way he, he lays out his career for him. And, and mm. he, he takes that jab at him, too. He's like, you were in Saddam's palace with a hit squad, and yet you failed to kill him, too. Mm. And just, just piling on that he failed at his mission right now. You yeah. know, on a problem, likely much easier scenario. <laughs> so, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a little, you know, like, ah, you son of a bitch. But yeah, yeah, playing to his emotions would not work. So mm-hmm. you want to hit him where it hurts. And, uh, and I think it worked here. I'm a bit surprised that he is, you know, he's a murderer. Like he used a sniper rifle to kill a dude and he's kind of, the security is not high on this guy. <laughs> like Mulder and Spender are letting themselves in and out of that cell. And it just, I feel like there'd be a guard there somehow. Oh, he is. He's bringing the food. <laughs> <laughs> he's armed with a tray. Yes. From here, we go back to the hospital. Scully is walking with Gibson. He says she's wondering about Diana, showing his skills one more time. Diana appears in the doorway ahead of them, and she's wondering about you too. It's here where we get a cool scene where Gibson is sitting in a room with a bunch of psychologists, psychiatrists. He's now being tested. This is part of his test, and they start holding up cards, each with individual pictures on them, and his goal is to guess what's on each one. As they hold them up, the camera's panning behind them, and we see that every card is guessed correctly. From the observation room, Scully and Diana are a little shocked. Diana talks a bit about how her and Mulder spent some time in psych hospitals, but they've never seen anything quite like this. As time goes on, Gibson starts listing food, and as he finishes, one of the doctors looks back to the ladies to state that he just guessed what they each had for breakfast that day. To, to roarous applause by them. It's a cute scene. I like it. It's interesting. I, yeah. Okay. As much as I have dumped on this episode a little bit coming up to this point, mm-hmm. I really like this scene. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I really like it is there have been some, there have been some episodes of the X-Files where they, they have these scientific revelations, you mm-hmm. know, things that happen that get cast aside as red herrings. I'm thinking of like 
the time difference on two stopwatches. I'm thinking of the Coriolis effect going the other way yeah. in uh, and the Hander Villets. And, you know, they're used to, to make a point, but they are of themselves ridiculously crazy important, you know, and they, mm-hmm. they should be analyzed because like this is ridiculous, you know, and I'm seeing it happen right here. Yeah. Gibson praise is an example of that. And they are giving it its proper due. Like they are really testing him and showing us, not just telling us, but showing us how powerful he is. Yeah. And it it's, really effective it's not a computer with stuff attached to his brain right mm-hmm. and we get little printouts showing us his midichlorian count or whatever he's he's demonstrating the power of his ability and exactly. it's really really powerful and that's that's one thing that's really cool about it is that it's low tech uh because it's just him talking to a bunch of doctors and it's simple it's not like this mm-hmm. rigorous test but it's also upping the stakes of the sh- the episode Pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. Like, we can see all yeah. that stuff. And now we can yeah. uh, believe what Mulder believes. And, you know, we're on board as the audience. So that's pretty cool. He is the real deal. We cut back to the shooter's cell. The little visor opens up and the guard tells the sniper he was handed a note to give to him. And now he's giving it to him. The guard is Michael Seamus Wiles. And he will appear in the movie. The shooter takes the note. He unfolds it, and it states, you are a dead man. He flips it over, and it is a Morley cigarette wrapper. What could this mean? No clue. The cigarette smoking man's been set up. It didn't come from him. No. Nope. He's too nice. <laughs> Scully arrives at the lone gunman office. She buzzes to get in, and Frohickey promptly unlocks about six or seven dead bolts. <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. I, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's automatically a better episode because the lone gunman. Absolutely. It, so. yeah. Goes up a notch. Yep. She yep. gathers the boys and they and asks about Gibson Praise. They know who he is. She wants them to look at his tests and analyze them with an eye to the paranormal. Each of them clocks, this is strange coming from Scully. Uh, walk on the wild side, Frohickey pokes. She then asks about Diana Folly. They haven't heard this name in a while, but they do know who she is. And Frohickey states... She was Mulder's chickadee for a while. I would like to editorialize here, ladies and gentlemen, as it has been posited, and as we just talked about a few minutes ago, this does not mean they were married, but <laughs> apparently people believe that. I don't know. The real truth is that Mulder was married to uh, somebody else that we have not yet met. We can give them I don't a think name. he has to be married. <laughs> Polly. Polly Mulder. <laughs> Polly. <laughs> Yikes. Or he was married to his work, and it was a sort of symbolic ring. <laughs> I think he got, you want, you want my honest opinion? Here we go. He got in over his head, as he states, in fire. And I think, maybe, he no. and Phoebe Green went to the local courthouse no. in England. Yeah, that's probably what it is. <laughs> and uh, after Aww. after they, they said their <laughs> vows in front of a minister at the courthouse, they went and fucked atop Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's yep. tomb. <laughs> likely. Likely that's how it happened. Or she needed to get married for a green card. That's, that's For visa it. purposes. <laughs> yeah, for visa purposes. <laughs> so probably there's that was. theory. I, I would like to swing back to uh, to the loaned gunman scene here and just point out Frohickey wearing 
what appears to be a bulletproof vest over <laughs> pajamas. crazy pajamas. They look like like footsie pajamas, but we never get a shot of his feet. <laughs> and that they're sleeping at the office. This is the best This part, is where right? they live. Yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous, but it's awesome. So Frohicky states that she was Mulder's chickadee for a while, and Byers even goes so far as to question why they split up. And Scully takes <laughs> a little bit of offense to that even though it was likely unintended by Byers. Um, there's obvious tension after this. Scully's feeling a little bit threatened. We cut to the hospital. Gibson's watching TV again. Diana watches through an observation window, and he turns back to look at her. Now, it's likely a one-way mirror, I'm, I'm assuming. Like, mm. technically doesn't know she's there, but because he can read minds, he does. Uh, Mulder arrives. He's the real deal, she says. They catch up, and she compliments him quite a few times, playing her, her, her card a little heavily. She makes a play that the last few years with Scully had to have been difficult because of her, her ways and not always seeing eye to eye with Mulder. But it's here that he actually defends Scully a couple times. I've done all right without you. And this kind of takes Diana Folly back because this is the moment, in contrast to earlier, where he relied on Diana in an argument with Scully. Now he's defending Scully when Diana's trying to call her, you know, a roadblock. I don't know. But I do enjoy and appreciate that he actually pushes back in this scene. And, mm -hmm. you yeah, know, when I'm she's concerned. trying to cast Scully as a roadblock or invaluable, he says, no, I've done all right without you. And, and she just... Keeps me honest, essentially. Mm. You know, it's I not. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's it a too. great it's a great thing to see him actually stick up for her and acknowledge that uh, because she is who she is, he's been able to evolve. Well, and do better work, I would argue. Yeah, because he's not just given free reign to succumb to his baser instincts. Yeah, he because has to actually be accountable. Yeah, if you're if you're stuck with Diana and like she says, two like minds would have been advantageous yeah well because you guys would corroborate each other's theories and just one big circle of well you're right i know thank you you're right too the perfect example for this is um ebe getting the photograph yeah of the of the flying saucer they both would have looked at that and went this is it this mm -hmm. is the best photo i've seen of a ufo ever fantastic let's let's take it to the press whereas scully immediately looks at it and goes that's a fake you know, and it's because she is able to be the foil that Mulder has it checked out and realizes, yeah, you were right. Yeah. So uh, once he defends her, she changes it up a little bit. She grabs his hand and says she's on his side. Scully's walking in down the hall with the brain scans. She passes the doorway and she sees them holding hands and smiling. At least they're not dancing together a la fire. <laughs> she, she takes a moment and then leaves before entering the room. As she gets in her car, she didn't drop her keys this time because there's no seraphim. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking that. <laughs> because it's a better episode? Yeah. <laughs> uh, she looks a little defeated. Uh, takes a moment to think. The music tells us she's sad. <laughs> she calls Mulder <laughs> in, instead of uh, being with them in person, even though she's right there. Uh, she wants to show him something about the boy and that he will be very, very surprised. 
He says he's on his way. I'm, I'm intrigued by why Scully has the gambit of, I prefer to show you at work. I think she just... I think she wants to not be around Diana. Yeah, that would exactly. Be she's trying to pull him away. Yeah. And besides, at work, she's got more of a comfort level there. <laughs> the yeah, office yeah, is, is just as much hers at this point. So we're meant to intuit that Scully is threatened by Diana because she thinks that Diana is a that Mulder is going to think of Diana as a better partner than mm-hmm. Scully is. I I think there are different levels. I don't think for all the shippers out there, I don't think she's threatened in a romantic way. Uh, even if the episode wants you to think that. Absolutely. It does. I think, I do think it's professional. I think she feels like she's being edged out by someone Mulder, not only agrees with on a lot of things, but has a history with. And yeah. who better to to work with than someone who you have a great rapport with and agrees with everything you have to say. <laughs> so I think, okay, I think so she, she's probably concerned about that. So she's feeling person, uh, professionally threatened that yeah. the, all the work that she's put in, the time she's put in is not going to mean anything because, you know, yeah. she's about to be cast aside for a, a different, better partner. And, and if you look at it like that, I mean, he's already been somewhat unavailable because of her so like let's say the day she's been in their lives now he's not as available to talk to and to bounce things off of and to investigate with um, as he normally would be so that's probably throwing her for a loop Mm -hmm. then why walk away when they're when she sees them holding hands i mean that clearly she's she's tearing him away by making him come to work (laughs) I mean, not that they couldn't bone up against the wall real quick. Before. But she doesn't have to see it, god damn it. Uh, Chris Carter is such a teenager. He is. All she needed was a little moment, you know. Like, She's clutching, clutching the, the brain scans against her chest. As she, yeah. She braces herself against the wall and then cuts the commercial. Single tear. <laughs> One single uh, tear. Right, moving on, moving on. Uh, Scully begins to back out, but she gets cut off by Spender arriving at the car- parking garage. Um, oh, that's she, a dick. She ignores <laughs> yeah. He doesn't realize, but he is a dick because he's just tearing down that, that uh, stretch of <laughs> parking garage. Yeah. Uh, they go their separate ways. He gets out of his car. And who is there in the shadows but CSM? He calls him over. Uh-oh. Mm. They don't know each other. He's going to try and make Agent Spender smoke. What are you? CIA? NSA? You're a bright boy. You said you had information. Control the board. Know which men to sacrifice and when. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't become part of someone else's cause or crusade. Pursue your own self-interest. Mulder exits a nearby stairwell, sees Spender talking to someone in a trench coat, and sees smoke. He he runs over, but as he arrives, cigarette-smoking man is gone. He asks who Spender was talking to, and he says he doesn't know. I was told he was dead. Obviously, whoever it was, he's not. Oh, boy. <laughs> I like this moment. It's it alludes to the fatherly bond that I think the cigarette smoking man wants to have 
Miss mm-hmm. Bender. You know, he's he's giving him the uh, fatherly advice: control the board, pursue your own self interest, etc. This is essentially his first dealing with Spender. You know, he mm. tried to send him that letter at uh, the Red and the Black. Yeah, but obviously he just sent it back um, without a response. So uh, this is his first interaction with his son, Agent Spender. I gotta say. The cigarette smoking man can run. Yeah, he just takes one step and (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Spender, I would love Spender to be like, "Uh, who was that guy? I I don't know, but fuck, he can run. (laughs) (laughs) He took off, man. For a smoker, he's got some lungs on. Yeah. (laughs) We go to Skinner's office. Mulder encourages Scully to tell him exactly what she told him. Diana and Spender Spender are in the back. Scully regales them with her tests. He has access to parts of the human brain called the God Module. As far as she understands it, no one else can use this part of the brain. This is almost unheard of in the scientific field. Mulder points out that people like Einstein, Newton, even Stephen Hawking have all said, or all have been said to have exhibited modes of thinking that suggest access to special brain centers. This kid is the key to all the phenomena in the world, the X-Files, essentially. Spender misunderstands what they're talking about, of course, and uh, (laughs) Mulder says the shooter can explain everything. He wants immunity from prosecution. Scully says, and this is interesting coming from Scully, this will be quantifiable proof of everything they've been doing for the past five years. Folly pushes back and says, you can't quantify the spiritual like you've just said. And if you do that and you ask for immunity on that basis, the attorney general will go off. She rightfully reiterates that the X-Files are allowed as an indulgence, but if you draw too much of the wrong kind of attention, they're going to shut you down. Skinner takes the time to dismiss everyone but Mulder. When everyone leaves, he asks him, are you sure you want to do this? You're going to risk the X-Files. And Mulder just says, how quickly can you call the Attorney General? So, there's stuff I like about this scene, but I just wish they'd gone about it a bit differently. Like, we already know Gibson praise is important. You know, he has showed us how important he is by what he can do. Mm -hmm. But to have this whole business of the God module and and make it spiritual and to show that he is as important as Einstein and all the rest of them, I, I... I don't really mind my need to go into that. I feel like it's a bit of a diversion. Um, I, I don't think it makes the, the episode better to have it here. It might be a little heavy-handed, I, I guess, to agree with mm. you. It's not necessarily required, uh, but I think it makes, for, in terms of the episode, I think it makes a good or or interesting scene. I, I don't know why they couldn't just bring him here <laughs> and like demonstrate, yeah. uh, but you know. They have to have this conflict between not only Spender, but also Diana to to mm. tell us, the viewer, what's going to happen. Yeah, this all sounds good, but you're also trying to give a murderer immunity because you're saying someone can read minds. Well, I think that is the uh, the real conflict, the, the good conflict in this scene. Like the rest of it is I could do without, but just getting to a place where Skinner and Mulder are now talking and saying you're going to risk the X-Files by doing this, you know, all of this to, re- to potentially give immunity to a murderer. Uh, you know, this is, this is a tall order. Is it that important 
to sort of stake your political capital on on this one kid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I like that Mulder clearly thinks it is. He will burn it all for this one glimpse of the truth. He sees that lottery ticket. <laughs> he does have a lottery ticket squirreled away, yeah. We cut to the shooter's cell. Mulder lets him know that the request has been heard, but the attorney general needs more. The shooter, having gotten a cryptic note in the previous scene, is rattled. The kid is a missing link. He's genetic proof, isn't he? Genetic proof of what? Most of us have genes we don't use. They lie there dormant, turned off. Science doesn't know what they're for, why they're there, or where they came from. Right, and you think this has something to do with that? There's a long-held but unpopular theory tied to prehistoric evidence of alien astronauts. You're not going to go out there and say the kid's part alien. You think that's what you heard? You led him, Agent Mulder. Now you're letting yourself be led. And Spender, in a brief moment, I actually agree with, points out that Mulder not only led the witness here, the shooter, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. he's actually leading himself because he's asking (laughs) and answering all of his own questions and coming to his own conclusions. The shooter didn't say shit. Uh, He just said he's... The key, the missing link. Well, he okay, so it's interesting that we are reviewing this kind of on the heels of having looked at the Erlenmeyer flask. And if you just look at that episode, it has all of the ingredients for this episode in that they're just taking alien DNA and gene splicing it with human DNA. Gibson Praise could just easily be the latest version of that experiment. And his superpower is he gets to read minds. So... I don't know why Mulder needs to use the superpower here to invent a new plot when we have a perfectly good plot already. But I absolutely agree with your point that I'm on Spender's side here. Like you, <laughs> you are taking this down a weird, weird path, Mulder. And, you know, even you can't see how this is going to blow up in your face. I, yeah. I'm surprised at the, the, the way the plot is directing it. So from here. We cut to a street. CSM is exiting his hotel. He lights up a cigarette. A car with Crycheck and well-manicured man pulls up. He accuses CSM of failing the mission. Mulder's gone to the Justice Department. CSM doesn't seem worried at all. It's just part of the game. Well-manicured man is not impressed, but CSM explains taking the pieces off the game one by one until the board is cleared is what you're doing. It's nighttime now. We cut to Centerville, Virginia. Gibson's hideout. He's watching King of the Hill, the second show of the episode. <laughs> yep. Uh, Scully sits in a corner and watching him, taking notes from Lance from All Souls as he looks out at his, at his yard. Uh, yes. <laughs> she wants to ask Lance him glances. She Lance glances. She asks him how he does it, and he explains it's like a radio. He just hears you thinking, and sometimes he hears everyone, and he wants all the radios to turn off so he can watch some TV. She asks about chess. Is that why you play? He says, it's not why I like to all the time, but it is just thinking. There's no talking. Unlike real life, where people think one thing but say another. And he lays some sweet poetry on our girl about how everyone's worried about what everyone else is thinking. But everyone else is just worried about what everyone else is thinking. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird it's actually, circle. Pretty astute. It's, I like this kid. I do like it, though. 
And yeah, I agree with you. I think it's very well handled by mm-hmm. the actor in this case. Like, yeah. he's not playing it like a child actor trying to be a child. Like, it's very honest. He's definitely aged uh, beyond his years, I think. Mm-hmm. And this power probably gives him that. Or they've written him. Like, like this power's kind of made him look at the world more honestly and uh, adult. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. He says some people don't care. Like Scully, you don't care what people think, except for her, alluding to Diana. She, of mm, course, at this moment, at the door, by the way, knocks yeah. at the door and lets herself in. She relieves Scully, who makes plans with Gibson to talk later. As she leaves, he says, they want to kill me. Scully's caught off guard and says, we're not going to let that happen. I promise. <laughs> I know you do. I think the kid's first clue that they want to kill him is when a sniper <laughs> shot the guy he was playing yeah. chess with. That wasn't exactly <laughs> revelatory. Yeah, that was a bit of a throwaway. You know, I'm realizing that they, as agents, missed a real opportunity there to get all the answers they want. Gibson praise reads fucking minds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gibson, the guy who shot you is on the other side of this one-way mirror. Can you just tell us what he's thinking? They just hold him up to the window. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us what he's thinking. Who was the the guy that uh, that agent Spender had a a conversation with in the parking garage? Can you just, you know, imagine what he looks like? He's a man who we don't know the name of yet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He smokes a lot, though. Real missed opportunity there to to leverage this weapon they have talked about, right? Like the power <laughs> to uncover secrets. There's the guy. Is Skinner in on the plot? Come on, Gibson. Come he is on. <laughs> so many questions could have been answered. Yeah, this series could have ended on five seasons right there. <laughs> Takes him down to his office and waves Samantha's folder in front of him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what happened to this person? Kid, you're my new partner. Scully's not working it. <laughs> We cut back to the shooter's cell. The same guard has another note for the shooter, but this time it's blank. As the shooter notices that, a gun cocks, he looks out the small opening and sees a gun. Boom. Dead. Back at the hotel, it's quiet. Gibson's at the windows. He says there's a man with a gun. Diana rushes to get him away from the window. They're not pointing at me. Diana questions what he's talking about, and she falls to a gunshot. The next morning... Gibson's not very good at warning. <laughs> he's cocked it. He's pulling the trigger. Get down. <laughs> oh, shit. You shouldn't be at the window where someone is... T- t- like, why did she go to the window? Right. I don't get why she went to the window, but, yeah. like, she knows he's psychic. Uh, so, who do we think the shooter was? Do we think it's Cigarette Smoking Man? Yeah, probably CSM. I think it's CSM, because he's the one that shows up and gives him praise later. That's true. Muller and Scully arrive the next morning. Uh, it is a crime scene. The ambulance is there along with a lot of police. Mulder's not too happy. He's He looks a little sad when he sees Diana, of course. <laughs> Skinner is there to brief them about what's happened. Gibson's gone. Diana is in serious critical condition. And he tells them that Spender is at the federal detention. The shooter is dead and he hands him the Morley wrapper that they found. Mulder looks sick. Can I ask you a question? Mm. Why is it not in an evidence bag? Oh, that's so good. Yeah, that's, that's a good, good pull. Nice. Yeah. Just wondering. Because they're not good at their job. 
Well, they probably yeah, didn't it. dusted for prints. There's nothing. I mean, let's be real. They're, they're not. No one's going to investigate this shit. It's CSM. There's no point. Right. We're not going to waste yeah. thousands and thousands of dollars trying to figure out what happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's a waste of the taxpayers' money. Yeah, that's all there is to it. Yeah, we are back at the overpass once again, but this time it's daytime. Wait, what happened to the first note that said you're a dead man? Did he eat it? Did he flush it down the toilet? <laughs> Maybe he pooped on it. Maybe he wiped his <laughs> I'm not I a dead man. I'm in a cell. You fool. I'm safe here. No one can get to no me. No one can get me. I've got my own personal guard who's going to shoot me. <laughs> so a car pulls up. Well-manicured man gets out to meet cigarette-smoking man and Gibson prays. He tells the boy there's nothing to be afraid of, but Gibson calls him a liar. Just like CSM. The older gentlemen get into a war of words at this moment. Your work is done, and CSM says, it's just beginning. He walks away as well-manicured man gets into the car with Gibson. Alex Krychek in the driver's seat uh, suggests hitting CSM with the car. But well-manicured man says, no, he may be useful to you in the future. Krychek speeds off and narrowly misses him to send a message that he still doesn't like him. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's that. He's also a teenager. So (laughs) you've got the well-manicured man saying, basically, I don't like your methods. He thinks that the cigarette smoking man is a thug, right? That's that's kind of what I take from that. I think he begrudgingly has to work with him. And over the years – as much as he is distasteful of his methods, he does get things done when they can't. Yeah, because the plan that the syndicate came up with was to snipe the kid. <laughs> and yet here's the cigarette smoking man coming in with the kid alive. It's like, you want to talk about methods. You know, I am the one who brought the kid in alive and didn't splatter his brains over a Russian. Yeah. You know. Your way was was gross. I, I don't know. This is the pot calling the kettle black to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> From here, we go back to the federal holding cell. Mulder comes in with a very angry presence. Uh, he attacks Spender, who's briefing other agents. He begins rubbing the Morley wrapper in his face, accusing him of working with old Smokey. I'm going to see mm. you prosecuted for murder. Your days are numbered. And as Mulder leaves, Spender mutters, his comeback just in time for Mulder not to hear it because <laughs> Spender is indeed a pussy. <laughs> That's a very matter of fact way to say it. Yeah, yeah. He is indeed I mean, a pussy. <laughs> no, your days are numbered. <laughs> it's like it's like schoolyard crap where you got your face punched in and <laughs> you're like, no. Well, it's interesting because Spender has that little throwaway at the end saying, no, your days are numbered. And then, of course, by the end of the episode, you know, Mulder is definitely taken down a peg. So Mm -hmm. is the illusion here that Spender is in on the plot? Like he does know what's going to come down the pipe? Because of the meeting in the uh, parking garage, he's being allowed to make moves and put pieces together that help get Mulder out of the scene or off, you know. Out of the X-Files. Yeah, off the board, clearing the board. Yeah, because yeah. Okay. of steps that CSM is taking. He's not doing it all, or Spender is not doing it all himself. Absolutely not. But uh, Oh, no, I didn't think he was. I was just wondering whether you thought maybe he was aware 
you know, if he was read in on the plot to, no, to he, destroy the X-Files. He's definitely not. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we fade out. We come back in. Scully's on the phone with Skinner. We knew there were risks going to the Attorney General. You know what's coming down here? Yes, sir. They're serious about this, Scully. I understand. I assume you'll make Agent Mulder aware of this. Yes, I'm, I'm here with him now. I'm making a case his personal involvement clouded his judgment, but I don't know the Attorney General's listening. I'll communicate that to him. Is there anything else? Any other news? You should know Agent Spender's going after Mulder Fulmore. He's been reciting some line about alien astronauts that makes you both look really bad. Right. Well, I'll be here if you need to reach me. Any news on Diana? I have her on maximum pressors. But she's barely maintaining her pressure. What does Skinner have to say? There are talks going on right now about reassignment. Well. Both of us. These talks included instructions from the Justice Department to close down the X-Files. And it's here that Mulder realizes out loud he's made mistakes. He just couldn't see it. This time, they may have won, Scully says. And with a flick of a Zippo lighter, we get a cool little fade into CSM lighting a cigarette. He is in Mulder's office. It's dark. He walks over to the filing cabinet, fetches Samantha's file, and he pulls the cigarette out of his mouth. Cut to him getting off an elevator. He has the file in hand. Don't worry, everyone. Everything's fine. (laughs) Spender's walking by. Yeah. The two men talk. How did you get in here? It's about access, Agent Spender. It's what I can give you. And when Spender asks who he is, he says, I'm your father. Spender, at a loss for words, but doesn't have time to think, because as soon as that happens, the fire alarm goes off. CSM quickly leaves. We fade to the X-Files, burning in Mulder's office. The cabinets are on fire. Mulder later on, assumedly, makes his way to the FBI. He goes down to his office in his civvies. He's got his little t-shirt on. Mm. Uh, Really cool scene. I like the way they they shot this. He walks in, and we see the blue and red lights from the police cars outside kind of flashing across Mulder and Scully. I was wondering about that. It suggests that they actually do have windows in their their little basement office. They're like high up towards the ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. So they just opened a window and and poked in a little fire hose to spray in (laughs) from above. I mean, you can see the sprinklers are on, which is an indictment of sprinklers, because clearly they didn't do a great job in this room. No, No, they did not. Uh, Everything is destroyed. Mulder and Scully, they both look devastated. And without saying anything, Scully takes the scan of the room, turns back to Mulder. And hugs him. She presses her head against his chest and he just stares on in disbelief. The music swells very dramatically with the X-Files theme sprinkled in and we fade out. Mm, mm. <laughs> the end. Another dark ending. These, these pair never get a break. <laughs> no. All right, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, what do you think of this episode? 
Andrew, Carrie. Carrie, you go first. <laughs> okay. It wasn't anything spectacular. I mean, it was serviceable. It did its job. I did, like, you know, as much as it was very odd and painful to watch the office go up in flames, I thought it was a very cool shot. I liked it. It was kind of like a fitting ending. If they're going to leave Vancouver, why not just burn everything down? (laughs) (laughs) Burn the bridge behind you. Well, yeah. But, I mean, overall, you know, there's obviously some missteps and whatever, but I don't dislike it by any by any means. You know, I like it. It's fine. I don't know. I, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. It was, I don't know, it was what it was. Yeah, I I think I share the sentiment in that it was, it was fine. It was like a five, you know, like it was... It kind of got them to a place where they needed to be in order to launch into the mm-hmm. movie. Like, I, th- I think if anything, what I don't like about it is that they have already pulled this trick before by shutting down the X-Files. In this case, it's not just shutting them down. They have been destroyed, which I suppose is a bit more final than the season one ending of simply closing them off, you know, putting putting them under wraps and saying you can't do this anymore. This in this case they have been destroyed. Yeah. Which I don't know. I feel like they would probably have some kind of backup system. Like I don't I don't really buy that it is all hard copy. Although this is 1998, maybe things aren't put on the microfiche yet. But anyway, I, I understand what they were trying to do. They were making it a big dramatic season ender and to that to that extent, it kind of worked. Like it got us probably it was a big gasp when we see, you know, the cigarette smoking man is our bad guy and he is doing this thing which has a huge devastating impact on our our protagonists. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna hurt. So props to them for getting us to this place. I think, as you say, Carrie, there were a lot of missteps. Like there are a lot of things that they they wrote into this that either just flat out to my mind didn't really make sense or were a bit sophomoric, like having a, another love triangle bit of business it's like i know more more recent shows avoid this trope right of having two women fight over a man but like in 98 i suppose it was probably you know a standard go to for what you would write uh, they haven't really gone there so props for avoiding it this long like they they put their fingers in the in the water a little bit with phoebe green but they they got burned pretty quick so they didn't really go back Fun. to them. I know. Right. <laughs> I know. It's my it's my lifeblood. So so in a sense, I guess it was fine. You know, it got us to where we needed to be, but I think they have done much better work in the past. As a mythology episode, I, I think that it muddies the waters in a way. I think it's the beginning of some some quality water muddying. Uh but this is the problem when your your vehicle for telling a story is to just ration out the facts you know to to bring back uh deep throat's character and the way mm-hmm. he would ration out the facts for Mulder and Scully to to bring them along like this is the same trick that the episode is playing on us the viewer they have to invent new details which are revelations and they layer on detail after detail after detail and eventually the plot starts to get convoluted so this is yet another part of that which maybe is part of the reason it's it's not a great episode for me. It just complicates things in a way. So I don't know. I guess that's my roundabout way of 
finalizing my thoughts. I agree with both of you. It's not a wonderful episode. I know I was giving you a guff at the beginning of the episode, but I, I just like to do that when Yeah, I know. We pick apart stuff. So it's it's a good time. But uh I think if we got along, it wouldn't be any fun. Right. <laughs> I think uh the episode in general is serviceable. I like it. It's not bad by any any stretch of the imagination, but I do think it has its problems in maybe trying to do too much. I, I like the idea of CSM burning the X-Files. I like the idea of that finality of it. The This is not only, which it could have had multiple meetings because of, you know, the end of the show intention, but for this, it got us to the movie. And it, it it was one of those moments that made everyone probably squirm at the final final shot. You know, everything that we've experienced up until this point is gone. So it's impactful, at least in that. I enjoy it. it it's very dramatic. The whole Gibson praise thing, I think they could have handled a little bit better because of why is he suddenly the target of something. We need I feel like we need at least some explanation as to what the syndicate views of him. Why is he suddenly on your radar? That could have benefited the episode yeah. a little bit. Um, I'm yeah. I'm okay with how they did it, but at the same time, it does pose questions that never really get answered. So, yeah. overall, I would say well, about they, a six or seven. I'm a little higher on they, this than you, but... Uh, they go straight to killing him, right? That's That's the thing I have an issue with is, well, like I said at the very beginning, like they... They give us a pulse-pounding intro with the assassination attempt, but it doesn't make sense when later on they're fine with just having him turn over, you mm-hmm. know, turn turn have the cigarette-smoking man collect him and, and turn him over to you. Yeah. So it's like they react with violence in a way that is out of character when they, they probably have more than enough to resources to just lift him off the street, you know. Van pulls up, boom. He's got a black bag over his head. All in all, I give the episode positive marks for being that uh, end of the season episode that launched us into the movie. I don't think it was uh, bad, but it did have its problems. We have seen worse episodes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And besides, I like the uh, the last shot with the, the blue and reds piercing yeah, in through cool. the darkness. It's very cool. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great shot. Again, nothing about the show in terms of how it's acted, how the the shots are constructed, the music, all of those component pieces, they're always top notch. Like I have Mm -hmm. no complaint with anything about how the show looks, sounds, or is acted. It is usually the script and how it's, you know, how it's the moving pieces are are put together. Um, There's either something missing or a misstep, which is like, wait, what? or it's just too convoluted. Like oftentimes they'll do these episodes where they have three different things mashed together and you're like trying to follow along. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure we'll go back to, you know, blowing Vince Gilligan by saying his episodes are consistently great for finding your concept, stick to it, explore it well, and then get it with a punch. You know, yeah. those are the best episodes. This one had a lot to go through. Like the moment where they're in Skinner's office, talking about the god complex or whatever you know the god module and how important he is i'm like we don't need any of this but yeah okay he's important i think we've already established that do we have listener comments uh yeah we have a few 
Um, there's one from Liza M. The end is where the show jumps the shark for me. It states what it should have been because the mythology is done. Scully has been through so much this season. Emily, the ordeal with Cassandra Spender, and instead of any of anything's coming together here, it all gets dropped. So, so do multiple crises of faith. Instead, mm. we get a no-nonsense MacGuffin of a chess wonder kid, Agent Spender <laughs> being yeah. a hindrance without providing anything of value to the story, and the introduction of a Scientology robot Barbie. I would like to honest. I would. <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired. I, I was trying to figure out who that was, and then I got it. All right. I would honestly prefer the return of Phoebe Green to Mimi Rogers' character, <laughs> but instead, spoiler alert, we're stuck with her for an entire season or more. And yes, I refuse to bother learning her character's name. Wow, I think she likes her just about as much as you do, Karen. Wow. <laughs> um. Interesting points, though. Yeah, I think. It- uh, although it maybe is worth saying that uh, that sentiment is followed through in the movie because we do have Scully saying, "I think I'm I'm going to get out." Basically, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't. I I like the comment. I don't know that I completely agree that the mythology jumps the shark. It does do a lot of strange things. I'll give you that. Where to begin with that one? <laughs> <laughs> Agent Spender is useless. Yes. That's his character well, in, this in episode, general. We, yeah. Maybe he does important stuff off stage, but in this <laughs> context, all we ever see of him is just getting in the way. He yeah. that's all he does for yeah. a whole season. So <laughs> well, he's, he's got an important dad. And don't get me wrong, I, I do like Jeffrey Spender. I like the actor. I think they do a great or he does a great job, but uh in this episode, yeah, he he's just kind of a, a bystander because he's not steering the ship at all. <laughs> he, he's <laughs> he's trying to confound Mulder's work. He's taking orders from someone he doesn't know, and he's not really doing much to <laughs> get anything. anything done. Like, yeah, I, I do get that point. He's just kind of there. Things are happening around him, and he's already decided he hates Mulder in previous episodes. So. He's just going to continue down that road. He's had reason, though. Like, I think the enmity they're trying to establish between Spender and Mulder is is directly related to what happens to his mother. So, you know, I'll buy that he considers Mulder bad news and takes everything personally. But I think the problem is that this is not the Jeffrey Spender show. This is the Mulder and Scully show. So we only get this caricature of of an antagonist without really getting any backstory. Like... You've got musings of a cigarette smoking man, which flesh out who the cigarette smoking man is mm-hmm. and lets you go, okay, now I get, you know, why this guy is the way he is. We never get that with Jeffrey Spender. No. So he's just this stock character uh, who, as you say, is, he just gets in the way. He's he's bumbling and ineffectual and just mean, you know, this is not really, it's not really interesting in a way that CSM is. Agreed. Do you want one more from Josh? Sure do. Sure. Uh, okay. Wait, do we have to pay him for this? Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, is that coming out of your end? <laughs> you. <laughs> the end is a bit of a letdown. Season five was truly great, but in the mythology hadn't completely gone bananas. But I agree with Liza um, that it really wastes a lot of what they had to work with. 
He put Agent Reyes sucks ass. I'm guessing he's meaning Fowley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... he... <laughs> oh, Josh. He doesn't know the show very well, does he? <laughs> Three years to go before Reyes shows up. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I didn't like her then, and I sure hate her now. The arson of the X-Files office was a nice ending, though to a fairly disappointing finale. Hurts to see all of what we've come to see them build literally go up in smoke. Cue Cheech and Chong. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, we yeah. I think agree with all that. Yeah, I think I think the general consensus is that the episode, um, while enjoyable, just uh does things it doesn't need to do and kind of falls somewhere in the middle. They were probably putting as many eggs as they had to spare into the production of the movie. And, you know, Chris Carter, for for all that it's worth, he has guided the show up until this point and uh, will do so for the rest of its run. But at, at certain times, it's going to get very muddy and uh, they decide to do some things that are very, uh, okay, why did you do that? What's the point of this? Yeah. Not to mention that I think they could have tied the movie into this episode a little bit better. We don't see well, Diana Folly at all in the movie. We don't yeah. see Gibson praise. Not that they need to be there, but at the same time, I think what Chris Carter had in his head was, okay, we got to burn down the X-Files and then we've got our movie our agents, where they're yeah. just normal FBI agents. Yep. You know, I think that's where he started and then he fleshed out the episode somewhere. Well, I think a better diversion instead of just drawing for their own playbook by just redoing the the end of season 1 in a sense would be that they spend season 6 completely apart. Like at mm-hmm. least in season 2 there's a bunch of episodes where they are not investigating the X-Files. You know, they are apart. Yeah, we don't even see Scully for other reasons, but you know, it's it's not an instant fix like it is at the end of the movie, and it's like, hey, we got the X Files back again. You know, it's yeah. It it took longer to reestablish, and Fair. perhaps more realistically, longer than it would be just to 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 patch it up again and, and get your show back. So, well, I think we've beat this one to death, uh, for better or for worse, and it is here, ladies and gentlemen, that we will put the capper onto season five, and launch into the movie that's right our next episode will be fight the future as i stated in a previous episode we do have a surprise for you (laughs) nice nice drop that in there (laughs) i'll edit to make it sound real smooth it'll be fantastic maybe you'll even retake that (laughs) all right well that is the show and if you guys would like to say goodbye please do so good night thanks for listening to the end of the end of the end the end the end thank you for listening to today's episode of this is not happening another x-files podcast if you liked what you heard we'd appreciate a like and subscribe or ratings and reviews on your podcast app of choice we appreciate all feedback and would love to hear it please visit our facebook page the syndicate colon this is not happening and follow us on twitter at txf syndicate and join in on the discussions and fun Also check out Magus Media's other podcast, The Chips Groove Podcast, for fun, in-depth reviews of video game soundtracks of all generations. Thank you, and remember, don't stop swimming. Don't stop swimming.